Well, good morning, Emmanuel Bible Church. My name is Pastor Mark. Glad to be leading you in the Word of God this morning. Our scripture reading this past week as a church would have been Job 29, 30, and 31, those three chapters, so I'd encourage you to turn back there in your Bibles, Job 29, 30, and 31. That'll be not only our reading for this past week, but our text for this morning's sermon. That's quite an anthem, quite a song to come up on to preach, and uh, so I appreciate singing with you and appreciate our musicians leading us in worship. Well, as you find your place in Job 29, let me just look to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll, uh, we'll press into the message for this morning. But let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. We have just sung of your greatness and your majesty and that there's none above you. And um, we stand in awe of you. I pray that as we read your word this morning, we would tremble at it, that we would be instructed by it. I pray that you would be our teacher and lead us into truth today. Uh, bless and encourage our hearts. Do what is necessary in our lives, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the good old days. You remember the good old days? When were the good old days for you? Back in 1984, which might be the good old days for some of you, back in 1984, Bruce Springsteen, also known as The Boss, Bruce Springsteen released a, a, a record that became quite popular, and on that record was a, a song entitled Glory Days. And it was quite popular. They still play it on the radio. We could probably do a sing-along this morning, but I won't lead you in a sing-along, but I will remind you of the lyrics of that song, Glory Days. Here's how the song goes. I had a friend, was a big baseball player back in high school. He could throw that speedball by you, make you look like a fool, boy. Saw him the other night at this roadside bar. I was walking in. He was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, had a few drinks, but all he kept talking about was... Glory days. Well, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eyes. Glory days, glory days. Well, there's a girl who lives up the block. Back in school, she could turn all the boys' heads. Sometimes on Friday, I'll stop by and have a few drinks after she put her kids to bed. Her and her husband, Bobby, well, they split up. I guess it's two years gone by now. We just sit around talking about the old times. When she says she feels like crying, she just starts laughing, thinking about Glory days. Well, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eyes. Glory days, glory days. Well, I'm going down to the well tonight. I'm going to drink till I get my fill, and I hope when I get old I don't sit around talking about it, but I probably will. Yeah, just sitting back trying to recapture a little of the glory of, well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Well, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eyes. Glory days, glory days. The good old days. There's nothing that will make you more nostalgic for the past than present suffering. Present pain, present loss, present grief. Nothing will make you more nostalgic for what was than when you were in trouble in the immediate. Back in 1998, uh, when I came to this church, everyone was talking about Pastor Hill. And uh, for most of you, you're like, who in the world is Pastor Hill? You weren't here at that time. But in 1998, I came here, and everyone was talking about Pastor Hill. And as a young pastor, I'm like, Pastor Hill? He pastored here in the 50s and the 60s. That's 30, 40 years ago. Goodness, that was before I was born. And everyone was talking about Pastor Hill. And I'm like, man, following Pastor Hill, there was a, a Dr. Harold Warren, pastor of significant renown. 
followed by Pastor Crabb, Pastor Stoyer, Pastor Donaldson, Pastor Kirkland, Pastor Etner, Pastor Storm. I'm like, did nothing happen during those seven pastorates? Did nothing good go on? Uh, clearly, the 50s and the 60s were the glory days everyone was talking about. Well, if you know Emmanuel's history, for the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they had a number of difficult experiences and hard trials for Emmanuel that had the church on the ropes, wondering if it could go another round, wondering if it could even survive. Everyone was sitting around talking about glory days, the 50s and the 60s. When you feel like the best days are all back there behind us, and there's no forward vision, that in itself is its own pain. Well, I bring up the song, and I bring up the Emmanuel illustration. I could bring up a million others, but I bring that up as an illustration because as we read Job's last speech, or at least what he thinks will be his last speech, he thinks he's dying, and everyone around him thinks he's dying. And so he gives his last speech, and we read it this past week, Job 29, 30, and 31. When we read this speech, we initially read about Job pining for, wanting the glory days. We hear Job saying stuff like, oh, I, I wish I could just return to the way things were before all this happened. Oh, I, I wish I could just go back when everything was going so smoothly and everything was running so well. Oh, I wish I could go back to the glory days to the days of my prior months. Matter of fact, as we read the speech, we read Job 29, 30, and 31. Those are his last speech or what he thinks is his last speech. We hear in Job 29, we hear him saying, this is how it was. And he refers to the glory days. And then in Job 30, he says, but this is how it currently is. Life is horrible. <laughs> I remember the glory days. Right now, it's, it's terrible. And then in Job 31, he says, I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. I have not sinned against God. There must be another reason, another purpose for this calamity that he's in. Well, for this morning, since that's our biblical text, those three chapters, let's think through those three parts of his last speech. When Job remembers the glory days, what does he remember? What was he looking back to? Well, we see it. If you look with me at Job 29, we'll read just the opening verses here to get a, a flavor for what he's saying here at the beginning of his speech. And Job again, verses verse 1, and Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old. I long for those former days, as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through the darkness. I was in my prime, baby, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. In other words, I loved it when everything was just smooth. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw, and they kind of stepped back, and the aged rose, and they stood, and the princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved." Well, when Job was remembering the glory days, he remembers five things. He remembers when God was shining on him. Basically, he's saying, I remember when I wasn't in the dark, 
and I wasn't in this storm, and, and God was shining on me and watching over me for good. Job's recollection of the glory days was when he was walking with God in friendship and in the light. It's interesting to notice that when Job reflects on the glory days, the first thing he reflects on is God Almighty and when God was shining on him. He doesn't say, remember the good old days when I was super prosperous and had tons of money and tons of cattle and lots of land? You remember those good old days? No, the first thing he remembers as he reflects on the glory days is, you remember when God was shining on me and I was walking in the light in friendship with God. Not only does he remember when God was surrounding him, but he also remembers when his children were surrounding him. God was his friend and his children were his joy. You go back to the early chapter and you'd remember that Job had 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. They all got along with one another. They all regularly got together and celebrated birthday parties and, and they liked Job and Job liked them. And he, he's saying, man, remember the glory days when God was my light and my children were surrounding me? Beyond all that, in his glory days, Job was respected and honored in society by both the young and the old. Job remembers the day when he would walk in the room and people would stand up. Job remembers when he would speak and people would be quiet. Job remembers the day when he was a leading figure among the people and he was an honored man. Now, let me ask you a question here. Was it because Job was wealthy? Is that why they honored him? Did Job, with his wealth, purchase a reputation where he was honored in society? Well, look at verse 11. This is where we left off. We're going to find out why Job was honored in society. Verse 11, when the, ear, when the ear heard what I had to say, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw it, it approved. Verse 12, this is Job's character. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and also the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots shall spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches, my glory fresh with me, my bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silent for my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again. My word dropped upon them. They waited for me as the rain. They opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. In the light of my face, they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief. I live like a king among the troops, like one who comforts mourners. So, so Job was a man of wealth, certainly, but he's also a man of wisdom. And Job used his wealth and wisdom as a leader in the community to serve people for their good. That's exceptional. That's remarkable. He used his power and he was a powerful man. He had wealth and wisdom, and he used his power for the good of others, not for his own benefit. Oh, have a leader like that. That's exceptional. He didn't use his wealth or power to oppress or to take advantage or to seek his own advancement. He used his gifts to serve others in need. You know, the psalm says, people rejoice when good men lead, but when the wicked lead, they go into hiding. 
Job's a good guy. And he remembers the good old days. He's like, remember when God was surrounding me and my children were around me and I was honored and respected in society and I was marked by good works. So here's the five things that Job remembers when he remembers the good old days. God shining on him, his children around him. Everything was running as smooth as butter. He was honored in the community and he used his wisdom and wealth for the good of others. That's what Job remembers when he remembers the good old days. Well, we turn from chapter 29 into chapter 30. And in chapter 30, he says, well, this, this is how it currently is. If the song for chapter 29 was glory days, the song for chapter 30 would be, hey, won't you play me another somebody done somebody wrong song? Remember that song? B.J. Thomas, 1975. Play me a sad melody. So sad it makes everyone cry. A real hurting song about love that's gone wrong because I don't want to cry all alone. You get to the very last verse of Job 30, and Job says, My lyre, my stringed instrument, has turned to mourning, and my pipe to the voice of those who weep. In other words, at the end of chapter 30, Job is saying, Play me the blues and sing me a lament because my present life is horrible. Play me a somebody done somebody wrong song. Chapter 30, verse 1, as he switches from the glory days, he says in chapter 30, verse 1, but now they laugh at me. I used to come in the room and people would stand up. I used to speak and people would be quiet and they would listen to what I have to say. And I was eyes to the blind and ears to the, ears to the deaf and feet for the poor and needy. But he says, now, now they laugh at me. And you read chapter 30, and Job communicates how low he is when he points out the reality that the societal misfits and the societal outcasts, you might call them the lowlifes, they now mock him and they laugh at him. This once honored man is now lower than the drug-addicted homeless man living in the back alleys of the city. According to Job, People who've made a hash of their life through bad decisions and irresponsible living. People who have been raised in generational poverty because of generational foolishness. People who can no longer couch surf and land on their friends' couches because they've burned all their relational bridges. These people are now mocking Job and looking down on him. And we know that God is not responding to Job's prayers. Job's children have all died. His siblings have all gone absent. His friends are throwing him under the bus. His health has him at death's door. Job is no longer respected, and people are writing him off as a dead man walking to the point where the societal lowlifes can now laugh at him and mock him without any recourse because they just think he's dying. And Job himself thinks he's dying. You know, over 30 years ago, boy, it's got to be pushing 40 years ago, uh, a man by the name of Daryl Bartlett left this church and left this community. And, and he went to go serve as the director of the city rescue mission over in Holland, Michigan. And he served there for an entire career. Now, some of us know Daryl Bartlett really well. Uh, Daryl Bartlett, he served in the city of Holland, Michigan exceptionally well. He started a number of businesses, which his children now run. He ran the city rescue mission with great excellence. He's renowned in the community. He was an outstanding philanthropist, a tremendous businessman. 
He has friends all over this country. Uh, he speaks now. He's on a speaking. He, he spoke at the City Rescue Mission banquet, annual banquet here just, a, I think, last year or the year before. Uh, if you can imer- imagine Daryl Bartlett losing everything and living as a resident in the mission that he once led and the residents of that mission mocking him, if you, could, you, if you could possibly imagine that, that would be the picture that Job is painting of himself. I used to be in the top drawer of society, top tier. Now I'm so low that the lowlifes mock me. Now you know why he's remembering the glory days. Because as he reflects on his present experience, it's horrible. So here's the last speech. Job 29, Job says, well, this, 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 this is how it used to be, the glory days. Job 30, well, this is how it currently is. Sing me the blues, pay me, uh, uh, play me a lament, and cry with me, because my life is horrible. And then the last part of his speech, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this, because I have not sinned. My situation is not a punishment from God. There must be another reason. There must be another purpose that I know nothing about. So in Job chapter 31, he says, I didn't deserve this. It's an interesting chapter, interesting chapter among the chapters of the Bible. When you read Job 31, some commentators say Job is engaging in a negative confession. He's confessing sins he didn't commit. He says, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this. Eight times over, he says it. And I'll put them there on the screen, the the sin he didn't commit. You don't need to write these down because they're all right there in the text. Sins that Job didn't commit. The first one, he says, he did not lust after young women. What an interesting place to begin for a red-blooded man. Imagine sitting in a group with a small man, small men, sitting in a small group with big men. Uh, We'll go that route. If you can imagine sitting in a group with a group of men and and someone at the table says, well, we're all guilty of lust. We've all committed that sin. We're all guilty there, trying to set the, the bar right down there. And Job says, not me. Not me. I didn't live that way. I made a solid covenant with my eyes to not undress another woman in my mind because that would, that would be a sin against God, and God sees and knows. So I've committed with my eyes not to do that. I've not committed lust. He moves on, and the second one is he says, he was not dishonest or fraudulent. That's another interesting confession, because even in our society, quite often we think, well, the people who've got tons of money, they got that money somehow, and it probably wasn't righteous. They were probably shifty. Back table politics, Somehow they came into that money, and Job's like, not me. I came across my money honestly. I was not dishonest. I was not fraudulent. I was not shifty. That's not been my way. Then then he says, he was not unfaithful or adulterous. Beyond being clear of lust, he was also a faithful husband. You could trust him around your wife. He acted with integrity toward the wives of other husbands. He was not unjust to his subordinates. Job was a wealthy and wise man. He had lots of people working for him, and he was not unjust. 
He acknowledged, if you read the chapter, it's quite amazing, he acknowledged the equality of every person, both male and female, both rich and poor, superior and subordinate. He would say, hey, they were born of women just like I was. And God gave them life just like he gave me life. I don't treat people as inferior. He was, he was a man of equality and justice for his employees. He was not unkind to the poor and needy. We've already read that in chapter 29. He repeats it as though he was not a cruel man. He had a reputation of being helpful. He did not have a misplaced faith. That's also very interesting. He, he, was not, he, he, he didn't trust in his wealth. He didn't trust in his position as an honored man in society. He also didn't wish upon his lucky stars or add something as a substitute to the worship of God. In his own words, he, he would say he was not false to God above. He did not have a misplaced faith. God was his confidence. God was the object of his faith. He did not rejoice over an enemy's misfortune. Now, that's fascinating. His fear of God kept him from fearing man and joining in with them when they rejoiced over the calamity of their enemies. That's, that's remarkable. Finally, he did not oppress his land tenants. Job had a lot of land. He had a huge farm. He had almost innumerable cattle. And, and because of that, he would, he would lend land out. And he said, you know, I, I wasn't even unfair to my tenants who, who farmed my land for me. So, that, that's, that's Job's speech in Job 31. I remember the glory days. My present life is horrible. I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. I did not earn this because I have not sinned. So Job would end his last speech with a statement of thorough integrity. There's other speeches kind of like this in the Bible. If you think about when Samuel left his leadership and the nation of Israel said, give us a king, we're done with you, we're, your kids are not going to rule over us, choose for us a king, and Samuel is used by God to go and choose Saul, and Saul becomes the first king of Israel, Samuel gives a farewell speech, a final speech. And in his speech, he says, hey, did I, did I offend any of you? Did I wrong any of you people? Did I take any of your money? Did I steal any of your land? Did I use my wealth and power and position to to oppress you? I didn't. And so here Job is making his last speech. And he begins and says, man, I remember the glory days. My current life is horrible, but I've not sinned. I did not deserve this. You get to the end of chapter 31, and it literally says, the words of Job are ended. The words of Job are ended. So I've titled this message this morning, if you've looked in your bulletin, Last Words with Last Words crossed out. Job thinks he's giving his final speech, but he's not. He's going to speak again. We're going to listen to Elihu next week. He's the brand new friend who speaks. We've not heard from Elihu, so we'll listen to his speech next week. God's going to speak, and then Job will speak again. So while he thinks this is his last will and testament, he's got more to say. Well, this morning, as we wrap this up, at least Job's last speech, I believe there are two significant lessons that we can learn from this, and then one landing place. So that's where we're going to go before we exit. Two significant lessons from Job's last speech, and then a final landing place, or kind of that one point I want you to take home today. We'll begin with the two lessons. When we read Job's last speech, particularly Job 29 and Job 31, 
we become aware of how practically righteous Job was. Practically righteous. Job was an outstanding man. God's testimony was Job was an outstanding man. You go back and look at Job 29 when he recounts the glory days, and he said, this is how I lived. I lived during those days with honesty, integrity, purity, and goodness. You read Job 31, he says, this is how I didn't live. I was not a sinful man. And so we read in these two chapters as Job gives his last speech, Job's practical righteousness. Job was a really good guy. But as we've read the whole book together, and we read some of Job's other speeches, we learn that God is Job's mediator, and God is Job's redeemer, and God is Job's righteousness. So Job doesn't argue that it was his practical righteousness that put him in a right relationship with God. Job's relationship with God was on the basis of grace and faith. God's grace and his faith in God's person, nature, and character. But while his relationship with God is on the basis of faith and grace, his relationship with God also influenced his present living for good. In other words, Job's relationship with God made Job a good man. We know as we read through this book, his acknowledgement of God, his fear of God, impacts the totality of his life. Job had not earned God's favor by his righteous living. His righteous living flowed from the relationship he had with God, that God had given him by grace as he trusted in him. So here's the point. Here's the point. Knowing God, and maybe a better word would be fearing God, probably a better word, but knowing God affects everything. When we read Job 29 and Job 31 and we come across his exceptional character, Job lives the way he does, not because he thinks he is awesome, but because he knows God to be awesome. Even when he can't understand God's incomprehensible activity, he remains steadfast in faith and committed to good. In the suffering, Job doesn't walk away in anger. No, he stays with God and fears him and keeps from evil. This is his wisdom. So I think that's a big lesson. We look at Job's life all the way through the book, and then we look him call it out in Job 29 and 31, and he's an exceptionally righteous guy. But don't for a moment think, oh, it's because I'm so exceptionally righteous, that's why God favors me. No, God favors him because God is gracious. And Job knows God to be gracious and awesome and mighty and powerful and righteous. And so he trusts in God. And his relationship with God is on the basis of grace and faith. And from that flows a very practical righteousness. His fear of God influences, impacts his entire life. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is this. Not all discipline is punitive. And we're thinking about discipline from the Lord here. Or just discipline. Not all discipline is punitive. Discipline includes good training. That good training part makes me think of my grandfather, Grandpa Marshall Hazen. Whenever we went through a hard time or a difficult experience, he would always say, that's just good training. That's good training. As we read Job 31, this end of his speech, Job is right. And we know he's right. 
He's not being disciplined for his sin. And that's the only answer his friends could come up with. And three times over, all three of them, so nine times, that's all Job has heard. Job, you've sinned. You got some closet sin somewhere. That's why God's getting you. You're a sinner. Repent. And Job's like, I haven't sinned. He's right. And he's not being disciplined for sin. But at the same time, Job is going through really difficult experiences that God has permitted. And in the difficulty of those experiences, Job is being trained by God through the trial that he didn't sign up for. And we know ultimately in the end that Job's experience of God, Job's intimacy with God, his intensity with God is going to to come forth in greater ways, even as Job perseveres. So God is training Job for his good. I wonder how many of you remember Coach Tom Landry. Again, this is like glory day speech for some people, right? Coach Tom Landry was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys back in their glory days, back in the 70s. He was an outstanding coach. He was also on the board of the Dallas Theological Seminary, an outstanding man, wrote a, wrote a personal biography back in the 80s. But uh, Coach Tom Landry, he said this about leadership. Uh, when he was asked about it, he said, leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do to achieve what they want to achieve. Leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do to achieve what they want to achieve. So in other words, in his context, he would say, you put football players through brutal training in the heat of August because they want to win a Super Bowl at the end. That's why we do two-a-days in August. That's why we have football players on the sideline puking their guts out as we run sprints for an hour. You get people to do what they don't want to do to achieve what they want to achieve. They want to win a Super Bowl, and you're not going to just skate into winning a Super Bowl. You got to put in the hard work. That's what leadership is. Well, when you think about our relationship with God, what is God's goal for his children? What is God's goal for you and me? God's goal is to mature his children toward perfection. From Romans, we would say God's goal is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we get a weird thought about that, that we're all going to be little Jesuses. No, we're all going to be little persons made in God's image who reflect the character and nature of Jesus in our unique personalities. It's fascinating. But God's goal for his children is to mature them toward perfection, to conform them to the image of Jesus. That's the trajectory he has in mind, and he has the wisdom and the power to orchestrate all things to that end, both good and bad. And as I think about Job, I'm like, man, God, God will mature his children. He will do it. And for those who are going through deep trials like Job is, it's possible to lament the suffering and loss because it's real and hurtful and hard. And Job says, I remember the glory days, and my present life stinks and I didn't deserve this. And he could say that, and he's being accurate, and he's being honest. So it's possible to lament the suffering and the loss as very real and also hang on to hope in God while he takes you through experiences both good and bad because he has a trajectory for you. He's going to conform you into the image of his son. He's going to move you on toward perfection as you learn to grow, grow up as his child. So that takes us to our final landing place. This is kind of the one point I want you to take away. 
the person who fears God and is trained by him will persevere in hope for the glory days are yet ahead. That's a big deal. The person who fears God, in other words, acknowledge God, reveres God, respects God, lovingly trusts God, even in the dark storms of life like Job, the person who fears God and is trained by him through a variety of experiences, positive training and negative training, <laughs> when we actually are being disciplined for the wrong that we've done. The person who fears God and is trained by him will persevere in hope because the glory days, they're still out there. They're still ahead of us. The best is yet to come, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't begin to fathom what the future holds. We're too little to begin to comprehend it. Romans chapter 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For all of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So for the children of God who are fearing the Lord and being trained by him, the best days are still out in front. Looking backwards, it's not a bad thing to do. And we do it. Looking backwards to the glory days should fuel our faith in our present experience to trust God for more future grace that is yet on the way. Grace that the biblical authors would say, we can't even write about it because you couldn't get your minds around it. The best days are still out in front. Uh, we would also say this, quoting Scripture, in Christ and by His Spirit, we have a deposit. So our present experience with God, which is by God's grace through trusting in Him, by grace through faith, our present experience with God is just a deposit a deposit of what? A deposit guaranteeing our future glory. Glory which is incomprehensible. So, enough said. That's the one point I want to take you away. The person who fears God and is trained by him, that, that's a good picture of Job, would be a good picture of us as we persevere in hope because the glory days are yet ahead. Let me, let me close this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we are thankful for this, this little book penned about a man who lived a long time ago, way back in the time of the patriarchs. And we're glad for the words that are written concerning his situation and concerning his own testimony as he gives it and for the truth that is revealed in this. And I pray that we might, like Job, persevere in faith and continue to do good while we wait on you as we go through a variety of experiences. And I pray with our eyes fixed on the future, focused on what is ahead, we, we might be fueled in faith to wait on you and in the process be matured by you. For ultimately, we're going to share glory with you, which we cannot be now, now begin to comprehend. 
for all of this good and goodness and kindness. We know that you've secured it for us in Jesus Christ. It's not slipping away, and it won't be diminished, and it is guaranteed, secured. So we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.